Good morning, A Vision for You. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, February 2nd, 2018. And we are reading from the big book. We are currently on page 23, uh, starting with the second paragraph. Um, today's readers, we have Eve K on the 12 Steps, Mary S on the 12 Traditions, and the readers of the text, we have Kim G., Katie G., and Janice M. The reference number for Thursday, for yesterday, February 1st. Now, for the 7 a.m. meeting, it's 10,996. That's 10,996. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, the number is 10,998. That's 10998. The, uh, the OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any uh, public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition, states that each group has but one primary purpose, and that purpose is to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You, a big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Let me start by asking Eve Kay to read the 12 steps. Eve, good morning. Hi, good morning. My name is Eve Kay. I am a compulsive overeater from Brooklyn, New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Have a very good day, everyone. I pass. Thanks so much, Eve. Appreciate that. Okay, um, Mary S., can you read the 12 traditions for us? Yes, uh, this is Mary S. in Stewart, Florida, and thank you for the service opportunity. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA un- on, on OA unity. 
Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mary. Appreciate that. Okay, let me tell you how our meeting works. Um, Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. And anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your, your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months, and there is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And of course, we're, we're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. Now to share, press star one to unmute your phone. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. And so today we're gonna resume uh, our study of the big book and we're currently on page 23, starting uh, with the second paragraph. And the second paragraph starts once in a while he may, and Kim's going to read through three paragraphs ending with long before it is suspected. So Kim G, take it away. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. Um, Once in a while, he may tell, tell the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is usually he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There is an obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. But they often suspect they are down for the count. How true that is, few realize. 
in a vague way, their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal. But everybody hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will rouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. The tragic truth is that if this man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arise. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. The tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case before it is even suspected. Let me turn on my timer. Oh, just, I, you know, I'm being flooded with memories, and, and the, the words that are jumping out at me is baffled lot. I will beat the game, the tragic truth. You know, I'm thinking to myself of my own history. You know, I would have these red lines. When I turn 16, when I turn 18, when I turn 21, I'm going to do something about this. Or maybe when I hit, you know, 150 pounds and then 180 pounds and 200 pounds. So I gave myself a delusion that I can stop when I really want to. I just don't want to stop right now. I, I remember having embarrassing incidents and thinking, well, this is going to stop me. You know, when I dieted, I always wanted to be about five pounds underweight so I'd have that Cinnabon bump, I would call it, so I could get to Cinnabon if things got really bad. You know, I remember in my bulimia, one of my ways that I would beat the game is I would eat what I thought was a reasonable meal and then I'd eat a whole bunch of carrots. And I don't even, I hate carrots. And then I would binge on what I really wanted to and I would throw up until I reached the carrots. You know, and when, they, when I made a resolution that this time I was going to change, this time was going to be different, 2018 was going to be the day that I became a normal person, I meant it. Hook me up to a lie detector test. I didn't understand what I, what I suffered from. And when I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, not at my top weight, but, be, but when I had the bulimia and I got down to the weight that I thought would make me happy and I was more insane in that bulimia than I was in my obesity, and I found that I learned that I wasn't alone. I found people who ate like I ate, who thought like I thought, and felt like I felt. That was wonderful. But what baffled me even more was why was I continuing to relapse in Overeaters Anonymous? You know, and there's a popular thing in my area that's called relapse and recovery meetings. And I really had to look at that. Because there's, on page 59, it tells us, here are the steps we took, which are a program of recovery. And I have to tell you, my experience in a way was I wasn't working the steps. Yeah, I was reading the steps. I was analyzing the steps. I was discussing steps in meetings. But what my program was, it was tools only. It was willpower. It was group support. It was trying to live off the fellowship and fear. So what I was experiencing in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous was not, was not relapse and recovery because I wasn't working the steps. What I, was, what I was experiencing was the progression of the illness. And what I had to do is I had to accept the tragic truth that if I had the allergy of the body, if I had that mental twist, that I wasn't defined by my, by my consequences, that just because I wasn't 700 pounds like some of the speakers in this meeting doesn't mean I get to do the program differently. Just because I didn't throw up as much as my sorority sisters didn't mean I didn't have to do the, the program differently. That I am a garden variety compulsive overeater and my only, my only hope is, a, is to work these steps. But thank you, God, there is a solution in this steps for me not to suffer this tragic truth anymore. And with that, I pass. Hey, Kim, thanks so much for your share. Okay, so again, we're, we're on page 23. Uh, Kim read uh, the starting with the second paragraph. She read through three paragraphs, 
and we only want to hear from people if you've if you've binge if you've compulsively overeaten in the past seventy years. So with Katie that, Katie, Janice, 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 all right, I'm going to start Jennifer with that, guys. I'm going to stop with that. Um, boy, I'm getting old, so I can't hear as well as I used to. But here's who I here's who I heard. So I apologize if I didn't hear you. We'll get you in the next round. I heard Katie and Janice and Matt, and I think I heard Craig and Teresa B. and Harlan. Let's go with that. Katie, it's your turn. Hello, Larry K. Katie G. <laughs> this is Katie G., recovered compulsive eater. Anarchic and bulimic, and I've definitely binged in the last 70 years and starting my timer. So I love this paragraph, and all of us do. What's so amazing is, like, the excuses that I would provide, right, that um, I'd be like, I mean, I could go toe-to-toe with you. I could tell you about the extreme tragedies that happened in my childhood because I'm going to go toe-to-toe you, toe with you. They did happen. They did happen. But the truth is that is not why I ate. And I kept thinking, you know, in therapy, if I could just understand the pain of my childhood, if I could just understand the pain of being alone and victimized and isolated. And I'm not here to say that the things, the pain that I experienced as a child were not valid and don't need to be explored. But they are not the reason that I am a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic because there are people in this world that have gone through far worse tragedies than me and they are not They did not do what I did and they don't need a 12-step program to get out of bed in the morning and function. And so that was like the first, you know, delusion that I had to get over. And what is so empowering to me today is to recognize that whatever happens to me in my life, there is no situation that can make me eat. There is no situation that's going to hold a gun to my head and force me into the food. Now, um, moving on, I love that, you know, they're waiting for me to assert my power of will. And, you know, it closes later in this paragraph. It talks about the tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case um, that I passed into a state where the most powerful desire to stop eating is of no avail. Yeah, me too. That's the other thing that I love. Hey, guys, I need to stop waiting, right? Like no husband, no baby, no dog, no job, no lottery ticket. There's no situation, no human power that's going to relieve my addiction. There's nothing out there that's going to make me say, that's going to make me do, that's going to make me stop, right? The only, and that is extreme, profound, devastating powerlessness. But the amazing thing is that when I face that, when I get really eye-to-eye with the fact that no human power, A, I'm a, I'm a compulsive overeater, I cannot manage my own life, and B, no matter who I am, where I am, or what I am doing, no human power, that devastation breaks me open to the point that I can see that, you know what, there is a power greater than me, and it's going to restore me to sanity for one day at a time. You know, and it is just such a privilege to be a recovered member of this community and to know one day at a time, I don't have to eat again. I don't have to hurt any of you. I don't have to hurt any of myself. And I can do all this 
in a joyous, happy, and free way. And I'm going to keep showing up with all of you, and thank you for your service. Thanks, Katie. Janice, have you binged eaten in the past 70 years? Well, you know, I think that I really <laughs> have because <laughs> I'm probably one of the oldest ones, so I can say probably at five. Uh, yeah, that gives me right. Yes, good, good morning. morning. Thank you, Larry, for your service. And, um, yeah, I'm Janice PM, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. It says here, some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts, they really don't know why they do it. Well, let me tell you, I always had an excuse to take that first bite to those foods, you know, not asparagus, but to those foods that were killing me. And that was the malady of my mind. I had it, you know, I didn't know it when I was five, but I certainly have come to know it in recovery, but that was the baffling peak, uh, feature. What are the excuses that I had? Well, I had a lot of them. I just uh, remember a few of them. Um, I needed, I needed the fool because no one loves me, you know? Um, and another one, nothing else will remove the hurt, so if only for a second, I'll just have this. You know, I deserved it. I've been very good for a year, a year of abstinence, a month, a week, an hour. So there was always that mental excuse, <laughs> which was crazy, <laughs> which was illogical. It had nothing to do with the craving and the mental obsession. I didn't eat the bun, the last French fry. I mean, that's how I used to leave it, you know, thinking that I did good. I must have this. Why? Because it's free. You know, because they, oh, you know, my mother made this especially for me. So how can I refuse it? Those are the excuses, the illogical ideas in my mind for having that. And that was, that took a long time, you know. Um, and, you know, the big book describes them as a mental obsession, not simply an emotional one. And, you know, they're emotional excuses, but they're just playing, playing crazy for me now that I know what my problem is. Um, so um, it, it doesn't depend on, you know, how I'm feeling. Sometimes we got to know why. What's eating us doesn't know. It doesn't help in, in, the, in the strongest senses sometimes because deep in our heart, we can't eat without developing the craving. And that's what I have to really know. In the beginning, because it doesn't matter what we're addicted to, the mental obsession, whether I'm gambling or drinking alcohol or emotions, it's the excuse that I gave to myself for going back to that, what was killing me, if it was a behavior or if it was food. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Janice. Matthew, you're up, followed by Greg B. Matt, how are you doing? Thank you, Larry, for your service. This morning, everyone, this is Matt Emma, compulsive overeater. You know, in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this smelly has a real hold, they are a baffled plot. I don't know about you, but for me, when I start to eat compulsively, I'm already off the reservation. Usually the relapse happens way before I take that first bite. It's the thinking, you know, the, the, the thinking becomes action. And then I go from there, and I'm, then I go through the well-known stages of a street, emerging ever remorseful, vowing never to eat again, like like I ate. You know, who eats? Who sits there and eats about like 11, 10 or 12 mini apple pies and two large 32-ounce sized teas? 
and then a bag of chips, a huge bag of chips. That's that, that's more than anybody could eat in, in like days worth of food and sugar. Not to mention sugar. I was high, I was high. I'm high as a kite, like skating off the rink. You know, going off the going off the reservation. And then I then I do I I, I do some dumb things when I'm high as a kite. You know, uh, I I take advantage of people. I um, I steal unbeknownst to them. I lie, I cheat. I mean, I am somebody who's definitely not you want somebody you want to be around when they're in the food. Definitely somebody you don't want to be around. It's definitely a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde moment. I had so many people in my corner who waited to, who were waiting for me to get out of my lethargy, lethargy, and rouse myself. But that doesn't happen. That's not. You can't snap your fingers. It's just to happen. It happens when it happens. And uh, for me, I'm definitely there. Was there was a certain point in my drink eating career. When I passed into a state where the most powerful desire to stop eating was absolutely no avail. There was a point I couldn't stop and stop and stop, and that got me up to almost 700 pounds. And that's definitely something I don't want to go back to because, damn, I don't think I'll survive this time. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Okay, we got – I think it's Greg. Is this Greg out in California? I might have the wrong – I heard Craig, but then I heard Greg. I hear a lot of things in my head. If not – Hey, Greg. Greg. Good morning. Greg B. in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. you're in Jersey. Okay, thanks, I'm Greg. I'm Jersey today. Welcome. Hey, Greg Greg B. from Compulsive Overeater and um, other things. Grateful to be here. Grateful to be recovered and absent today. Uh, I love the big book, of course, and uh, of all of you. Glad to get on. Naturally be on the right time frame. Um, so this this chapter, I mean, every time I read it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter why you get here. We get here for a reason. And the reason is we walk in these rooms out of curiosity, so we want to lose weight. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what my intentions are. My intentions are I want to lose weight or I want to gain weight or whatever it happens to be. My case, I'm a skid row, bottom feeding, morbidly obese, bottom row, eat anything, everything in sight, um, compulsive overeater. And the only remedy that's worked for me is uh, Overeaters Anonymous. I know lots of people who've been in program, and uh, I see them on Facebook, especially this time of year, you know, lifting weights, exercising. God bless anybody that can recover uh, weight loss through other methods. All I know is this works for me. The people I hang out with, which is all of you and others, uh, you know, come to Overeaters Anonymous and we find a joy and a happiness through practicing this way of life, which is the 12 steps and the tools and the fellowship and everything. It's all exclusive. It's it's not, uh, I mean, it's all inclusive, <laughs> not exclusive. It's not, well, if you don't work the steps, you're not part of my crew. Well, if you don't make the phone calls, you're not part of my crew. If you don't do 90-day or FA, you're not part of my crew. No, the book book does not say that. It says all-inclusive. Lots of room. Lots of room. Because I know everything, and I'm going to tell you. I'm going to stand up here and tell you what works. Well, that's one person's opinion. My opinion is, folks, if you're struggling, if you're in the food, if you're having a difficult time, and really food is really just a small part of it. The problem is my resentment, my fear, how I treat others inside the house especially, at work, uh, if I have a job, which I've lost many, absolutely, because of my behavior. It's all about that. 
And so I keep coming back to change, change what's inside through spiritual awareness. But spirituality for me, it ain't out there someplace. <clears throat> it's not external to the program. It's you. It's everybody I see. It's the guy who cut me off in traffic, the person at the hotel here. That is spirituality for me, um, the eyes that I see um, when I see God in the eyes of everybody. So keep coming back. If you're struggling, if you're suffering, don't give up. Don't leave the rooms. That's what I did. That's what I continue to do. It works, and it's working if you stay in the present. Uh, God bless. Greg B., California. Thanks. Hey, Greg. Thanks so much. Okay, we have uh, Teresa B. followed by Harlan G. Teresa, good morning. Hi, this is uh, Teresa D., um, a compulsive overeater. Yeah, as in dog, rough, rough. Um, Anyway, uh, I am a compulsive overeater, and... uh, you know, I love this paragraph because my mind, it, my mind is really sick, really, really sick. And, and, you know, Larry, I had to laugh when you said that I hear lots of things because in my mind there lots of things do come true, um, you know, can elaborate it and, and make all these excuses of why I do what I do, you know, to uh, make it okay, to justify, to, um, you know, just in my mind, uh, is as the big book says, uh, I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. It becomes a reality to me. And uh, you know these things, these voices that say eat, 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 um, they become reality. And uh, you know, and today I don't have to listen to them. And so with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks, Teresa. If a man can love another man, Harlan G. Good morning. Thanks, Larry. Good morning. <laughs> it's, I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona, where it will be in the mid-80s today. Thank you, Larry, and thank you to Team <laughs> Friday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm going to reveal the secret of why at the end of my three minutes here, because since 1979, I have listened to Thousands of people come through the doors of Overeaters Anonymous, and one of the first things they do in their Get Acquainted tour, and when I say their Get Acquainted tour, it is their first couple of meetings after which many of them disappear, and I did the same thing after a year or two as well. They come in with their story of why, because they were Jewish, they were German, they were they were Japanese, they were Italian, they were Greek, they were black, they were white, they had this, they had that, they didn't have this, they didn't have that, blah, 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 blah. And that's why they compulsively overate. No, no, no. If you're really a compulsive overeater, you eat because of an unnatural level of discomfort caused by the buildup of everyday, simple, normal human emotion. And the mind is looking for relief, and it goes to what it knows will bring that relief, and Dr. Silkworth calls it the effect. The effect is the sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating that food. 
And unfortunately, about 10 seconds after I eat that food, I also trigger the physical allergy. Let's go back to page seven in Bill's story, because we've seen this in the doctor's opinion. Let's go back to page seven. It's as best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained, though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily, the allergy, and mentally the twist. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it remains, often remains strong in other respects. I wish I had 10 lifetimes to get to know every one of the 300-plus people on the line right now. I know a few of you. I'm astounded at what you've accomplished in your life. You have done amazing things. But if you're a compulsive overeater like me, there's not a damn thing you've ever done that altered the path of this disease until you worked the steps and had a spiritual awakening as the result of those steps. Some of you have PhDs. Some of you have never made it out of grammar school. Some of you are, have master's degrees. Some of you have done amazing things. Some of you teach fourth grade. Some of you are surgeons. Some of you are psychologists. There's not a damn thing we can do to alter this disease. We must seek a power greater than ourselves, and it is the depth at which we will accept that fact that will mark the urgency with which we will work the rest of the steps. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Harlan. Sorry, guys. I'm not timing that guy. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, um, um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so we're on page 23, the second paragraph. We read, read through three paragraphs, and I only want to hear from people who are breathing now. Only people Julie who are breathing. Julie R. Julie R. Julie R. Nessa. Leia. Carol, Jane. Nancy. Nancy. Carol. Nancy. How about one more? All right. Let's see here. We got Julie. We got Nessa, Leia, Carol, Nancy. Let's go with that breathing what, group. What Julie? Uh, did I leave Julie R. And Julie oh, is there two? Wait a minute. Yep. Stop that, yep. Julie. There's two Julies. Get out of here. All right. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> let's go with Julie, followed by Julie. Julie, good morning. <laughs> okay. Hi. <laughs> How's is that Julie for <laughs> A recovered compulsive overeater. You know, it talks about. Where do I, I, first of all, I have to identify in, right? Once this malady has a real hold, I'm baffled, you know? So why can't I stay stopped, right? Well, because I, that obsession that hits me, and it hits me like a ton of bricks, right? And it outweighs any other idea I may have. Like, my children are embarrassed, or I can't sit in the airplane seat, or I can't go to Disneyland. I have to make an excuse because I can't fit in the ride. But yet, on the airplane, I'm eating a huge two-pound bag of whatever. And it's like that doesn't make any sense at all. I'm a bright woman. I don't have a PhD, but I am a bright woman. And I still would do these things because I have lost that power, choice, and control. But yet, I'd wake up, like it says, you know, uh, we're lethargic or whatever. We, the, oh, yeah, he will rouse himself from his lethargy. And then I would be able to, 
you know, get that self-will going, find that abstinence that was going to just save me. But then what would happen? I would be hit by that ton of bricks again because it's important to know that that the physical craving is pointless because that's not going to keep me sober, right? Just being abstinent, I don't have the physical craving, but that's not going to keep me from having that obsessive thought. And the only thing that's going to keep me from having that obsessive thought is having a spiritual experience or awakening. I mean, I just have to look at my history. I mean, I've been in OA since 81, and you guys all know I was moderating, I was doing all this stuff, and then I, I was silent. And that was in 2014. I was in a horrific relapse because I wasn't doing the work. But I reverted back to eating like a rabid animal, lying, cheating, stealing food from work, from people's desks. I sat there and I was, the day before, thank God, I I got out of this horrific cycle, I was thinking, you know what, maybe I should just leave away. Maybe I'm not a compulsive overeater. Now, if that is not delusional thinking, I don't know what is since I had been in OA since 81. But yeah, and it's like the freedom that we get now by living and breathing a spiritual program. I don't want to eat. I live. I love life. I have ups and downs. But the obsession has been totally removed only by following the big book. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Julie. Okay, we have Julie S. followed by Nessa. Julie, good morning. Hi, good morning. This is Julie M. in Netherland, Colorado, recovered. And thank you, Julie, for hearing me and letting me in. Um, This reminds me of my face-to-face meeting that six years ago when I first came into OA, people were talking about the event that drove them into the food. And I, I used to rack my brain to figure out, gosh, well, what was the event? What was the event? And I had a, a very significant event um, happen to me when, when I was 12. And I remember thinking, okay, well, that must be it. That must be the thing that drove me into the food. And I was certainly binging probably the most I ever had up until that point at that time. But I could remember crazy things I did with food before that. I can remember binging. I can remember stealing food, hiding food. I can remember my grandfather used to take my cousin and I, we thought it was the coolest thing to go through the drive, the car wash. And we'd each get a candy bar and we'd sit in the back seat and we'd, we'd eat this candy bar. And she would eat hers really slowly. And I would, I would, you know, wolf mine down. And she knew me so well. She would look at me and she would go, oh, it's so good. It's so sad that yours are gone. And I used to want to rip her face off. And I know that's not normal. And so what I know from the big book, and thank God, is that I have an allergy of the body and a twist of the mind, and I was born with it. It's in myself. This is not because of trauma. Yes, trauma has exacerbated because we go into the food when we have um, intense emotions. So I just see it as I was born with it. Trauma sent me maybe further into the food. But what this book has done is it's shown me that it's not my fault. And thank God, because I used to hate myself miserably and call myself every name under the sun to degrade myself because I couldn't stop. And 
this book has not only given me a solution, thank you, God, but it has allowed me to see that it's not my fault and I'm not a bad person just because I can't stay out of the food once I've started. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Okay, we have Nessa followed by Leah. Nessa, good morning. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Uh, The desire to stop. uh, I can't say I ever had the desire to stop eating compulsively. Uh, I had the desire to stop being fat. And throughout my life, you know, I've done, I've known dozens of fat people who, um, like me, you know, uh, obese, ate like I did, went on diets, became um, thin, and never looked back. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Uh, and I couldn't figure out why. And I came to OA looking for an easier, softer way, you know, always my quest for the easier, softer way, looking for the pill the magic cure that would enable me to eat everything I wanted and still be thin. And, of course, I didn't find that here in OA. And so I've always pondered, like, why did I stay? Why did I stay if I didn't find what I came looking for? And the answer is that, um, you know, here were a whole bunch of other fat people like me who couldn't lose the weight and keep it off, like those people who I have met uh, throughout my life. And so I finally, I finally sat at home, and that's the only thing that kept me here. Uh, what gave me the willingness or the desire, rather, to stop eating compulsively? About seven years ago, I, I met for the first time somebody in whom the problem truly had been solved. And I saw the possibilities. I saw what I could become. I wanted what she had. And what did I have to do to get it? Um, only two things, become entirely abstinent, work the steps according to the big book, and continue um, my life in that way. And that's what I did. And I, now I, I can say I live a, a life that is happy, joyous, and free, you know, uh, not plagued by the food obsession, not plagued by the food and by the whys. Why can they lose weight and I cannot? Because now I'm in a normal body, but more importantly, I'm in a normal mind. Um, and uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa. Okay, we have Leah S. followed by Carol. Good morning, Leah. Hey, Leah, we can't hear you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't there know. <laughs> I didn't hear. Thank you so much. This sure. is Leah S., a recovered compulsive overeater, a very grateful one. Okay, I'm going to set my timer. All right. Um, there's one paragraph that I want to, I mean, one sentence that I want to read. The tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it was suspected. So I'm a, I'm a compulsive overreader, and um, there were so many things that I used to do, and mainly they can all be summed up by yo-yoing. So it, I I have to admit that there were you know there were times when maybe a fleeting second I was skinny quote unquote skinny, but I could barely wait to get off that event so that I could go back to my binging. 
the moment really arrived because many times in my life did I think, oh, my goodness, there's got to be something else that I can do. Having so many sizes in my closet and everybody saying, I don't have place in the closet anymore. I don't have an... And then how much, but it's so difficult. It's winter. It's so hard. I'll, I'll diet when, when I have to put on my bathing suit, you know, maybe then. And, and going back to all these kinds of excuses, my goodness, my goodness. And then I came into OA where I really listened, but I couldn't really listen until I didn't really put the food down and then just jump into the bandwagon and just do it the way even if I did not have the willingness and then pray for the willingness to be willing. My goodness, this program is such a program of miracles. Every single day, renewed, renewed, and more coming. It is amazing, really amazing. And food Food does not even come into the equation. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Leah. Okay, we have Carol followed by Nancy. Carol, good morning. Good morning, Blueberry Larry. This is Carol J. from Saugatuck, Michigan. Compulsive overeater and grateful to be abstinent today. And I thought I'd celebrate talking down the line because I've had one year of abstinence and it really feels wonderful. But I have so much more work to do and Thanks to you people on the line, I've realized how much more work I have to do and uh, having the courage to do my four-step now and uh, dealing with the past. And, you know, you mentioned about 70 years, and I just turned 71 in December, and and I thought, yeah, I have been a compulsive overeater all these years and just so numb, not realizing anything that I was doing and how I was feeling, and now things have become more clear and I'm uh, happy to be in OA and it's a struggle some days, but, you know, having that spiritual awakening has been really motivating. And you know, I've been in the 12-step program since 1979. Not a clue, but intermittently having a clue going to OA, but never admitting and really accepting that I had this disease of compulsive overeating. So I'm really grateful to all of you and CGIF, and thank you very much. I'll pass. Thanks, Carol. Okay, Nancy, it's your turn. Hi, this is Nancy H. from New Jersey, compulsive overeater. And, um, well, I happen to be taking, like I write while I'm listening, because it helps me to reinforce what I'm hearing. And today's February 2nd, and it's Groundhog Day. And that's where I am. I'm in Groundhog Day, which is exactly what these paragraphs speak about, because I'm back in the food and suffering, and um, I have had periods of abstinence, and um, probably had actually 1.15 years ago, a couple of years, but I'm back in the craziness, and I have to be, I'm praying for the willingness to be willing, so I'm back on the phone call, I love this meeting, I do have hope, but I'm also a little bit I don't know, feeling a little bit hopeless too. So I'm going to um, keep listening and get with my sponsor. Um, I guess I still start to, I start thinking that I'm not a compulsive overeater after I 
move away from going to meetings and stop listening to the call. And then I go, well, maybe I'm not. Maybe I can exert my will. And we know where that leads us. It just leads us back into the food. So definitely a compulsive overeater. I have some willingness this morning, and um, I pray for uh, that I work this program so I can help others. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks so much, Nancy. Okay, we have time for maybe three or four more. Um, only, only human beings. Only human beings this week. Terry and Terry. Terry. Diane B. Diane B. Okay, I heard. Ben I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. Did I hear a Colleen, or am I hearing voices again, as I often do? Is there a Colleen? Was it Darian? Darian, that's who it is. Sounds just like Colleen, right? Okay, <laughs> here's who I have. I have Terry, Vasa, Darian, and Diane. Let's go with that. Terry, good morning. Hey, yo, Terry, I can't hear you. All right, why don't we get, hey, Vasa, would you jump in there? We'll come back to Terry. Thank you, Larry, for your service. I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, calling from uh, Florida. And this is uh, bringing me right back where I was uh, 32 years ago. And, uh, and I just love this meeting. I've been coming here for four years. It's one of the best meetings I have ever discovered in my life. And it says here, they really do not know why they ate the way they did. And I had no clue. I just remember, why do I do this to myself? Why do I punish myself with this food? But I like the effects of the food. And it only lasted for 10 seconds, you know. And and then I'd be remorseful again. Why did I go off my diet? And I played the game for 25 years before I came to Overeaters Anonymous. And again, I had no clue I, was, I had a disease. I had no clue about the allergy. I didn't know anything about the mental obsession. I knew, but I didn't know that was mental obsession. I thought everybody, you know, thought about the food like I did. You know, I couldn't stop thinking, you know. I could stop sometimes for a little while. I could go on a diet, but I could never keep it down. So for me, I, I was just so grateful when somebody gave me this big book and they, t- they told me about the allergy and the obsession of the mind. I mean, I was so, ex- I mean, I was so excited. Finally, finally, there's a name for what I was doing and there's a solution after I tried to put it down for many, many, many years. So why wouldn't take? Why wouldn't I do? Because it was going to kill me anyways. So um, again, the the tragic, the tragic, tragic truth is that if the men be real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. And I'm going to go on the other page a little bit. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is it is suspected. I gave, I surrendered to the food before I came to Overeaters Anonymous. I don't know how long it was before I came to the program. You know, I said to myself, nothing, nothing worked up to that point. Yeah, it worked for a while, you know, but I could never keep it down. 
And this was the only solution that I read in the big book. If I did what those 100 people, men and women, did, and this hope for me, I would be able to do it like they did if I followed the direction, the way they laid out in this book. And, I I mean, it's such a gift. And just follow the directions. And I'm just so, so grateful to God, my higher power, the person brought me in the program, and I never left the program. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks, Vasa. Darian, it's your turn. <laughs> hi, Laura. <laughs> can you hi, I can. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Darian Kay. I'm out in the Berkshires, and it's a lovely 19 degrees, so I'm pretty jealous of Holland and all the other uh, people in Florida, my friend Vasa. <laughs> um, but anyway, we'll keep warm on this phone line. Um, so I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to be in this program. Um, I've been in since 1986, and um, you know I've done I have done the steps um, and some closed meetings. But you know I'm going to definitely do some work with um, Big Book Step Study sponsor soon. And you know I'm just so grateful. Grateful that um, I know I have this disease and. Wish that I knew it, you know, I mean, I did come in pretty young. I was 24 at the time, and, um, but, you know, I still suffered. Um, you know, when, when, you know, I work in the schools, and I see the kids running around in gym, and I, I think to myself, oh, my God, I was just so humiliated. I just could not climb those ropes. I could not run that three-mile test thing that they did. Remember, my sides were killing me, and just so humiliated, um, and, you know, I just so wanted to be like everybody else. That's what it was. You know, I just didn't want to be unique. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to just be cool, and um, and I wasn't, you know. I was always a heavy kid and um, then a heavy adult, and um, I just tried so many things, not too many things that were expensive, but you know, my mom was always on a diet, so we always tried the quote-unquote healthy ones, like Weight Watchers Diet Workshop, over and over again. Um, and you know what? I don't know. For me, you just don't diet on the weekends. Like, that's the time that you cheat. <laughs> so my diets lasted, like, Monday through Thursday, actually, because Friday, to me, is part of the weekend. So um, why would I think that I would get anywhere? you know, trying to do something for four days. Um, And it just felt like deprivation. It was not anything that I enjoyed, anything I could live with. Um, It was not a way of life by any means. It was was just torture. And um, today, when I have my three weighted-measured meals, I feel blessed. I feel satisfied. Um, I feel, you know, just so normal, <laughs> if that can be. Um, and it's, it's just a miracle. It really is a miracle to be able to eat those meals and then actually live in between and be good at my job and be, you know, the best person I can be around the people I love, although I work on that daily. And, um, and just be the authentic person that my higher power intended me to be. So I'm just 
so grateful. Thank you so much. Love this little sense of humor that you're throwing in. Just love the lighthearted, wonderful pearls of wisdom that, that I get on a daily basis. I'm just so fortunate to call you guys every day um, and listen in. So thank you for listening and have a great weekend. I'll pass. Thanks, Darian. Okay, Diane, you're going to wrap us up here. Good morning. Oh, Good Diane. Good there you are. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm still fairly new. Uh, I don't have a sponsor. I have a sponsor for about a week and a half. It didn't work out. But, you know, I'm grateful anyway because God is taking care of me. The other day, I went to my wallet and I found the receipt where I bought five bags of Pepperton cookies. Do you know I still have one bag unopened? I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1974. And Overeaters Anonymous is part of my program or, or my disease, but it's the starvation. It's the starvation. Uh, I'm just grateful, though, because I'm humble. I stay humble, and I stay grateful. And I talk to God all day, every day, because in so many ways, he has blessed me. The PTSD still gets in the way a lot of my being able to hear. But I'm getting better and better with a vision for you because of the big book and five days of the big book. It's marvelous, and I'm grateful. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Diane, for wrapping us up there. Appreciate that. And thank you to everyone who has shared. Um, Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study and uh, immediately following closing. The uh, share ID for for today, Friday, February 2nd, is 11,000. Get out of here. Seriously. 11,000. 11,000. Okay, so now, Katie G., would you read A Vision for You on page 164? Would you do that? Excuse me, I've interrupted you multiple times today. Good morning. (laughs) It's Katie G., recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. Um, Oh, my goodness. I just lost my place. (laughs) And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.